Hello, welcome to the Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank Mistretta, and on this podcast, Pastor Troy Wallace and I have Bible-focused, Jesus-centered discussions about what it looks like to live as a Christian in today's culture. If you have any feedback, want to ask a question, have a topic you would like us to talk about, or just want to be on the show, you can email us at relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out Crosspoint Adventist Church on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Adventist and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash crosspointadven. That's A-D-V-E-N. Be sure to watch the Crosspoint Worship Service live stream at our website at crosspointadventist.com Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Relevant Faith. Uh, today, we have a special guest. He is a, a member of the Crosspoint Adventist Church, um, and I get to be, have the privilege to be his pastor, but also his friend. Uh, Caleb Isley is joining. Uh, how are you doing today, Caleb? I'm doing great. I, I'm excited to actually talk with my own church, you know, <laughs> and my own friend and pastor. This is really nice. Yeah, it's great to have you on, man. We get to hang out um, sometimes. Uh, we were hanging out a lot more before we uh, got locked down because of COVID-19, but yep. um, it's good to be able to have a conversation and share that conversation with an open audience. So I imagine that a couple people listening to this podcast will know who you are from our church, but there's a whole bunch of people out in the world that have no idea who you are, or maybe have had contact with one of your uh, social media p- platforms out there on the internet somewhere. But Caleb, I want to start with a question, just diving into your story. Um, what's your journey been like in faith um, up to this point of joining the Crosspoint Church and becoming a part of our community? And then also uh, an addendum question, a side question, how did you kind of make an entry into the social media world and get to to use that that uh, mechanism as a part of your ministry. Yeah, that, that's that's a big question, and I, I always tell people my story is very complicated and disjointed. Um, it's it's really hard for me to just say like, you know, at fifteen I did this, eighteen mm. graduated from high school, uh, went to college, got a job. Uh, my life is is in no way in that order or um it doesn't have like there's always some some parallel storyline going alongside whatever i say so i just like to preface that because i know when i tell my story it can jump around because i'll try to follow one train of thought then i'll you know try to follow another one but but i'll try to make it as clear as possible (laughs) i i was uh born into the Adventist church, this, I like to say it's my legacy, um, (laughs) inherited from both sides of my family, um, on both sides, as far back as I can see, uh, even great grandparents and probably further back were seventh day Adventist. Um, I grew up mostly in, from the time I was in first through 12th grade, uh, Indiana and in the, uh, Adventist school system there. And so um, I had this, this experience of, you know, going to a church-led school, having morning worship, um, chapels, Bible bowls with pathfinders, you know, all the churchy 
Adventisty things that you mm. hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, real early on when I was six years old, my my family split. Mm. Um, so I had been in this very traditional, like mom homemade bread, uh, homeschooled us before kindergarten, like got together with other Adventists and were totally vegetarian, got all our meat substitutes from the ABC and that's what we cooked with. I mean, just like a very, in some ways, traditional lifestyle. And uh, that was my exposure to the world a lot. Mm. And um, at six years old, my parents divorced and both within a year were remarried uh, to people who had never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist before my parents. Mm. So I was then divided between um, what I was learning in school, uh, what I saw at my primary home in Indiana, and then what I saw in my secondary home. My mom ended up leaving the church until I became an adult. So when I would go there, didn't go to church, didn't have family worship, not a religious atmosphere in any way. Mm. And yet I was still holding to these very kind of traditional mindsets. If everybody had their Game Boys out on Sabbath, I did not. Um, If, you know, if there was Mm -hmm. people were going to see a movie, I was not if it was Sabbath or, you know, I had very strong convictions that I got mostly from school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, toward Academy, I really kind of dove into that. Um, Just got really... Uh, very conservative in my views, very just bought in with, you know, the, the theology I was presented with. Um, ended up meeting my wife in high school. Uh, we started dating at 15 and 16 years old. Mm, nice. And by, by 18 and 20, we were married. And <laughs> 18 for her? Or t- or... 18 for her. Okay, you're older. Yeah, okay. So two years older. And that was another major change. You know, we uh, dropped out of college after we got married. We couldn't afford it. Um, Mm. Moved down to South Carolina. Uh, So completely different environment. That's where my mom and my stepdad were living. Wow. And really, once we didn't have Adventist friends anymore, um, just disconnected with the church for several reasons. big one for us we were really poor Mm. Um, my mom and stepdad between them have five kids all very close in age and we were all coming into adulthood at the same time and it just was not a situation where they could you know financially help everybody go to school or any of that so we we lived with them on and off as all of my siblings did Uh, there were times where you know, four of us were all living with my mom and stepdad. Uh, and so just this real struggle of trying to to be financially independent, trying to find our way back to college, trying to live a successful life and marriage. And we were driving a, a car that would break down on us all the time and just ended up coming to this place where church seemed like such a burden Mm. to go to. Mm. Um, We could barely get there or afford gas to get there. Uh, When we went there, we didn't connect real well, especially Mm. me. 
um, I felt like I was being used in a lot of mm. ways. Like my contributions mattered on work fees. They mattered on, you know, being a deacon or collecting offering or going to prayer meeting or whatever. But, but my personal life, my views, my opinions, my experience, I didn't have a lot of people asking about that or caring about that or connecting mm. with me, you know, during the week. And so I was actually the, the person who disconnected most and ended up my wife and I both left the church for a couple of years. Um, I think, I think a big struggle that I had was, you know, I saw us getting together for programs each week. I saw us spending so much time on programs on, on, scheduled things that were for us to entertain us with a God theme. Yeah. But I didn't see us, I didn't see us helping people that much. You know, I, I, I looked around at my community, even my own situation. And I was like, if I'm behind on my bills, will I call Mm. the church? No, they're not the people I think Mm. of. (laughs) You know, if I, if I'm broken down on the side of the road, will I call somebody from church? No, we don't have that relationship. I would, I would more likely call someone from work or, you know, someone I had just met weeks yeah. ago because I had a real relationship with them more than people in my Yeah. Family. So it sounds like the thing that you lacked in the church was friendship and, you know, close relationship. Like it was more, you, you were going there more for the things that they were doing for people, but you never actually connect with the people themselves. Yeah, and they they were more in line with the the theology I had been raised in, um, but I was coming to an understanding of God that God is an active, present mm. God of love, that God is someone who cares very much when you're struggling and is mm. with you when you're struggling and is the go-to person when you're struggling, and I just didn't see that the church was being that. Um for me, it was not my just my specific church. It was the Adventism I had connected with throughout my life. Uh, it was this this uh, religion to me that had a lot of very great core principles that I believed in, but was not living those mm. out in an optimal way. Was not really showcasing that God mm. was a God of love. That you know God deeply cares about us. You know, I knew people who were atheists that seemed more caring than anyone mm. I could name in my church. Yeah. And I'm like, th- that's that's God at work. You know, why why am I seeing it in this person yeah. but not in church? And you know, I, I think I think I some of that was me being judgmental of the people around me where I hadn't truly gotten to know them either. Um, but that's that's where I was at the time when I left. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so you were gone for a couple of years. What, what caused you mm-hmm. to go back to a church at all? So let me catch everybody up on what I spent those two years doing. Uh, this will be important later. So I ended up getting back into college. I went to a public college, College of Charleston, great school. They took very good care of me. They worked with me. I was still practicing Sabbath, mm. even though I wasn't <laughs> going to church. 
And it was, I mean, to the point where I would fail a class if, if I had to wow. go in for finals wow. on Sabbath. It, I had a clear line. Uh, thankfully, they have a really strong Jewish okay. program there. And so asking for Sabbath off was not unheard of. Um, I, I never had an issue. Never had a single uh, teacher try to pressure me. They all worked with my schedule. And so I connected really well uh, with my community, with my college. Um, and it, at this time, I really started just exploring um, social media and journalism and that kind of thing. And spent those years really developing that skill and really coming to this community mindset, this um, people in my community are hurting because of this. And here's what we need to do mm. to help address that. Um, a lot of activism learning. I, I wouldn't say that I personally was like super activist. It's just that I was paying attention and learning from mm. a lot of activists in my community and, and trying to adjust my mindset to, truly seeing the needs of, of people there and um, just opening my, mm. my eyes to them and their lives and involving myself with them. Awesome. Um, what finally, what finally led me back to church is really interesting. My, my parents had been living in Charleston where I was going to college and they bought a house way out in the country in this town called Orangeburg. And the first time I walked into, I, I visited church with them one time. And first time we walked into church, uh, you had probably <laughs> 12 people, couldn't even fill two rows, um, mostly senior citizens. And they had mm -hmm. song service. There was a guy on a guitar singing camp songs from my grandparent <laughs> era. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, maybe, I don't know, very old. Um, they were doing all the hand motions and everything together. Um, and then they had a children's story. There were no children there. Wow. They just had it anyway. And the pastor wasn't there that Sabbath, and they had two TV screens, and there was hmm. a bachelor on TV. And it was just this really sad feeling, like, like there had been life there, and it had been wow. gone at some point they had lost it and they were trying to just keep doing the motions of of mm. those things and it was it was not something i connected with i i was like i'm not going to that church that creeps me out like i don't even know what's going on wow. there. so um but my parents uh committed and my grandparents also ended up you know, moving down there and, and joining the same church. Um, and what I saw was my mom, who had been gone from the church almost my entire life, my stepdad, who had been a backslidden Baptist uh, almost my entire life, didn't go to church, didn't want to go to church, swore he, had ne he would never step in church again. Um, just this family of misfits of mine. Uh, join this little church and not just go to get something, but mm, go to offer something, beautiful. go to give something. Um, pastor was burnt out. I mean, he had, he had worked hard. He had tried a lot of different things, just didn't seem like it was working. Um, 
been a long time since they had had a baptism. And I think I was, I was really inspired by uh, the combination of seeing my family take ownership of that community and, and get their hands dirty and get involved when I know it wasn't mm-hmm. their preference either. It wasn't offering them a lot. Um, but they were willing to sacrifice and get involved and do things, uh, even if they were different. You know, my mom, she's got a big tattoo on her forearm. She's up leading song service in short sleeves. Um, my stepdad, he doesn't have the theological training most, you know, pastors and elders do. He doesn't have the, the, mm-hmm. the pedigree of, that Adventists usually seem to look for, and yet he was wow. made head elder like in a relatively short period of time. And what it came down to was this church was, it was ready. Like they had struggled, they had fought, they had done a lot of things that didn't connect with people well. A lot of people had left and they, at the point that I found them, were ready to Mm. be collaborative, um, not competitive. There was not a lot of age competition um, I guess the, the real hook for me was while I was out of church, they just, they started really brainstorming. How do we connect with younger people? Uh, how do we connect with our community? And they started with asking questions. They, they put together, a, especially my, my stepdad, Tim, uh, put together a seminar on ministering mm. to the generations where he went through every living generation and just covered the history and the trends and some of the different um, like statistics wow. on them and, and just the ways it, it was a non-judgmental educational series that opened the floor for people to ask questions about each other. And so many people attended those. Wow. You know, so many people showed up and, and wanted to learn. And that's cool. So I remember, um, yeah, I, I just remember them asking me a lot of questions. They would set up lunch with me, um, knowing that I wasn't going to go to church there. And they would just say, hey, I, we're not trying to get anything from you, except we value your opinion. Uh, we we want to know, like, what do you think of this? You know, what's your experience like? And I had never had leaders in the church who had truly valued mm. my opinion. Wow. I had never had people who listened and did something with what I said. And that's what this church did. Um, in the very first few times that I came back, I was like, hey, I have this background in social media and journalism, and I really think, you know, we could we could develop something for this church that that shows what's going on here to people that that makes us outward focused where people don't have to actually stumble in the door to see what's going on they can from a safe place look at this church and look at who's in here and and make a decision about whether they want to come be part of it and the the first thing that happened i had a couple of 70 80 year old uh members come up and say hey we don't use social media, mm. but we trust you. <laughs> we value your input. We love that you care about this. We will buy you what you wow. need for this church. Uh, if you need a laptop, we'll buy it. Like, just do wow. something. And 
that touched my heart. You know, coming from a place where I felt un, unnoticed, where I felt used, where I felt like my opinion and, and input uh, was an inconvenience to people. Um, I felt kind of patronized um, to, hey, we need you and you have something great to offer that we don't have. And we want to work alongside you and each take on what we're good at. And you're good at this mm. and we're not. Like just that simple recognition changed everything for me. It, 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 I mean, by the time that I, I moved to Oregon last year, I was, I was preaching relatively wow. regularly at my church. I was teaching Sabbath school once a month. I take up offering most, uh, a lot of the time. I, I went to board meetings and sat through the, the <laughs> treasury numbers. And uh, I mean, I was, I was involved and, and, you know, we even ended up buying a house within walking distance of the church where I would just walk to church whenever there was something going on and, and be part wow. of it. That's super cool, Caleb. Um, so they came to you because you had skills and they wanted to learn and hear from you on those things. And, you know, part of what I'm hoping to, to, to dive into today is this social media, uh, the social media skill that you've developed. And, and so a lot of people out there may have had contact with maybe your Facebook page, Humans of Adventism. If you haven't, go check that out on Facebook. Caleb tells some very awesome um, inspiring stories that, that he's heard from other people um, that will just encourage you um, to see the best in humanity. But so there's a gap missing in the conversation on like, how did your social media pedigree develop? And maybe when was this happening? <laughs> like, give us a window into that whole uh, part of the story. Yeah, the, the most ironic thing is I was raised in a household where I was not allowed to use <laughs> okay. the internet. Okay, so so I was not an early adopter. I was not one of the frontline people who got a Facebook account when it came out. Literally, this was something I had to sneak if I wanted to get on. I had like a, a fake MySpace profile because uh, my family was like, no, the internet is bad. You'll get kidnapped. People will steal your information. Wow. Uh, e even just having an email account was something I had to like secretly have wow. until college. So it wasn't until I was, I was moved out uh, 18, 19 years old that I even began to explore social media, the internet, eBay, whatever was out there, <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> I remember the first couple weeks in my college dorm, Wikipedia blew my mind because I could look up anything that I wanted and I would just print off uh, articles that I could just keep and read because the, the, the world had wow. expanded so much. Wow. So, so I, I really came into social media as an explorer. Like this was a new territory that I didn't know anything about, uh, made all kinds of cringy, you know, videos with my siblings <laughs> and, and, uh, just just push the edges of everything like, wow, what can I do with YouTube? What can I do with Facebook? What is what is this thing? What is that thing? You know, um, it, it never was done in mm. the way that was recommended. Sure. If that makes sense. If somebody was teaching you, they're like, here's Facebook. Here's how you should use it. I didn't do <laughs> any of that. I just used it however I wanted. Um, if there was something I wanted to try, I would try it. Um, usually fail usually have nobody pay attention to it. It's fine. I, I learned 
each time. And, and that process has never stopped for me. Um, it's just been about, you know, what, what is something that I want to <laughs> accomplish in life? And, and what are some ways that I can use uh, this tool, this amazing tool, the internet that I found uh, yeah. to accomplish those goals? And I, I, think, I think what really drove this is I was, as I said, I was bored. Like it was hard to drive places. It was, I didn't, I was in a place where I didn't know people, mm. but the internet was free. You could use it from your phone. You could use it from the library. I mean, there were times I would just sit in the school library for three or four hours and just think like, you know, what is a blog? <laughs> like I'll start a blog. Okay. I wrote this thing. Now, how do I get people to read it? Okay. I got one person to read it. I'm going to read <laughs> there. And, and just opened up everything I could think of. Wow. Um, one of the, one of the first convictions I had where I wanted to do something for someone else with my social media was in Charleston, South Carolina, at least when I moved there, you had a lot of people just starting out in the music industry, film industry, a lot of like entertainers. And I had never met people like Mm -hmm. that in Indiana. I was a construction worker. That was not part of my life. I was not artsy. I mean, I, I maybe I was closet I was artsy. To grow that <laughs> in my yeah, yeah. I, I liked it, but I just it, it seemed impractical. It didn't fit my lifestyle. But when I started meeting people, I was like, okay, you know, if you if you're you know playing music at a restaurant, mm. you're probably rich. You know, like wow, you probably make a bunch of money off of people and everything. If you're in a TV show, you're probably rich. And um, just from, from working in restaurants and all these different things, I started to meet these people and, and realize like some of these people are homeless. Like some of these people are, are 17 year olds wow. that ran away from home. Some of these people are um, like single moms whose, whose husband just left them and they're just trying to, to find some purpose in life. Like, the, the reality and the humanity of people in the entertainment industry there really hit me. And, and I started meeting them like regularly mm. and building friendships with them. And so one of the first things I did was I started this blog called Out of the Woodwork. And basically the purpose was people who had no press, people who had no like, I don't know, like they, they weren't famous in any way but they they really were mm-hmm. passionate about some kind of art um i gave them that i i started this just so they would have something to show somebody like hey this is my story this is what i'm doing this is why i care about this this is what i'm trying to do these are my goals for the next year and i for three years just sought out wow. people in that situation i sought out people who were not famous, people who um, were not going to make me a bunch of publicity or fame or money, just people who were struggling that had something Mm. great to offer the world. Um, They were not, I mean, the majority probably not Christian. Like this was not a religious thing. It was just, I want to help. And I think you're great. And I want to, I want to use my voice to add something to your life. And so by the time I came back to church, I had, you know, a bunch of interview skills under my belt. I had went on to work in the music department Mm. of a newspaper. 
uh, you know, did like a hundred interviews for them. And so I had all of this, this experience built up over the years. And I was like, do you really want me to be a deacon? <laughs> you know, do, do, do you really want me to do literature evangelism? Like, I don't care about, like, I, I want those things to happen, but I'm not the person to do those. I have a real yeah. skill, a real passion in my life that I could bring to this church. Yeah. Don't you want me to bring So, that? so like, I just want to speak to that for a second, because I think so much of the time, the boxes that we have for roles at church are so limited, um, just like what you were talking about, to the positions that are available. And we try to fit people. We try to fit squares into circles and circles into squares. Um, but it sounds like this church that you were at was willing to open up or maybe just get rid of the box and allow you to use the gifts that you brought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of. Um, they had their <laughs> okay. own limits as well. So um, what, what has led to me full-time working in social media has been the mm. platform Humans of Adventism. It's been this um, this approach of interviewing people about their life experiences in the Adventist church. Uh, I tried to start that at my local church and mm. just could not get people to respond. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, they just weren't connecting with what it was. I couldn't explain it in the best way. Um, they weren't used to something that had to do with Adventism that was not a devotional sure. thought. It was just, what is your life like? What have your experiences been like? And, and they were so used to talking a certain way. Um, they were used to a specific mm -hmm. format of testimony. Um, you know, I had a problem, God fixed it. Hallelujah. Well, great. And those are important stories, but yeah. they're one kind of story. And there's a whole lot to the human experience that we need to be able to share and relate to yeah. that are not that story. Um, so, so humans of Adventism came out of a failed attempt to do this <laughs> wow. locally. I, I failed at doing it locally, decided to start it on a much bigger scale so that I could grow the pool of people I could interview and did that for, I mean, years for free on top of a full-time job before anyone offered to, to pay me mm -hmm. wow. to do anything like that. I was, I was out of college uh, working in an unrelated, I was working as a pest control technician doing this. Um, and really, I mean, didn't have any hope or, or uh, confidence that this would turn into a job. It was just something yeah. that I cared about doing that I wanted to bring into the world. Wow. That's so cool, man. So I bet you, like, this is just my speculation, but if you had been successful in starting that within your church, it would probably be a lot smaller than it is right now. That's my guess. <laughs> so Absolutely. God had another yeah. idea about using you and the, that platform uh, to reach a much bigger audience. That's super cool. Um, so you said, you talked a little bit about about having purpose. You had a purpose for uh, the out of the woodworks platform that you started. Um, you have a purpose for this. What do you see your purpose um, as a communicator using social media as? Yeah. 
um, my my intent is always to uh, draw the hearts of mm. people closer to each other. Um, it's always building bridges. So society has a lot of walls between us. Uh, mm -hmm. An easy mm -hmm. one to see is age, right? Um, it's just really hard for a lot of us to actually sit down and have an honest heart-to-heart, -heart, I love you and you love me conversation between someone two mm. decades different from us, younger yeah. or older. Um, it's really hard for us a lot of times to talk over racial divides. There's yeah. a lot of pain there, right? There's a lot of things that we just don't understand about each other and we don't take the time to understand about each other. Um, there's a lot between genders. There, there, are, there are countless married couples that I've met where I can see the pain inflicted on each of them based mm. on the different positions of their life. And they can't talk about it because they never learned mm. how to share those stories, how to really say, this is what I'm going through and really have the other person listen yeah. to them. And in return, they haven't learned to, to wow. listen themselves. And, and so my mission with social media is to connect people through story. It's to build those bridges through story because you're not going to, you're not going to understand other people without knowing their story and without intention. Yeah, listening. that's powerful, man. Um, the power of being able to hear a person's story and just give you so much perspective. And uh, recently I was listening to a TED talk on um, uh, by a lady named Lori Gottlieb and uh, she writes a column. For, I think it's for the New York Times. Uh, it's called Dear Therapist. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but anyway, people send her stories personal stories and personal heartaches all the time and one of the things that she taught in that in that in that ted talk was um, and this is the skill she uses in therapy was if you begin to write the same story from another person's perspective all of a sudden your entire narrative changes and so she used this little illustration yep. where this lady had been having trouble connecting with her husband and this lady feared that her husband uh, was having an affair. <laughs> and so she wrote a letter, you know, uh, from the perspective of the husband to this lady who's afraid that the husband's having an affair. And the letter went something like, uh, I lost my dad a couple years ago. And ever since that day, I felt like my wife couldn't connect with my pain. And so I've been talking to a lady at work who had uh, lost her father and we are sharing grief together and so it was just like this whole eye-opening thing that when we really start to, mm -hmm. to listen to stories like our whole world can open up and so I think there's so much power to that and so thank you for being one of those people that that shares people's stories in in life-changing ways um yeah, so sure. I know that a lot of us are forced to use the internet and social media a lot more right now because of COVID-19 and, and shelter in place. Um, walk me through a little bit of like what your, maybe what your rules are for how you use social media, like how you set limits for yourself and how do you, how do you structure your use of the tool of social media so that it's not, maybe all consuming, but also it's purposeful and you have clear boundaries on how you want to use it. Sure. So the way that I like to think about the internet mm -hmm. is that it is a place. Um, while you don't go there physically, 
you do go there mentally and you can't be in two places at once. So, you know, th- think about something simple like going to Walmart or hmm. uh, Winco. Okay. If I go to Winco and I come back and I went there for a purpose, great. If I go to Winco and it's 11, you know, I go at, <laughs> it's, say, six in the evening. Seven in the evening, I'm still at Winco. Eight in the evening, I'm still at Winco. 12.30 a.m., I'm still at Winco. My wife would be uh, like, yeah. where are you? Why are you still at Winco? Like, <laughs> uh, what's going on? Um, we're doing, this is what, what happens mentally, right? There are, there are important reasons to use the internet. And I am a, an advocate for the usefulness of the internet. But you have to view it as a place you go. And so... I, I wouldn't be in the middle of a conversation with someone and just, just cut them <laughs> off and say, I'm going to Winco, <laughs> right? Good. No, I would never do that. Uh, what I would do is I would, I would say, okay, here's what I need from there. Uh, here's when I'm going to go. Here's about how long I'm going to spend there. Here are the things I'm going to do. And, and of course, you know, inevitably, when I go to the grocery store, there are going to be things I didn't expect that come up. The line is long. Um, you know, that there's something that I need from a different store or whatever. So there's variation, but it doesn't change the fact that mm. my purpose is to yeah. go there to do something and be done. Sure. I don't want to live there. You know, I, I don't, <laughs> I have a home. I have relationships. Like they, they need That's my good, presence man. and attention. That's good. And so I think, I think we have to figure out number one, why are we using the internet? Um, there are legitimate, important reasons to use the internet. It's the most incredible tool that we've ever had as mm. a human race, I think, in my opinion, and the most versatile. Um, but if we don't have a purpose, it's like driving somewhere by yourself and just standing there for hours, yeah. just consuming what goes on around. That's you. good, man. You know, we don't we don't do that, and especially it's it's more like driving somewhere where you have flashing billboards in every direction. You know, it's like going into the middle of Times Square and not moving and just reading every (laughs) single word that you see on every single billboard and spending your time thinking about every ad for makeup, every ad for a new car, every ad for underwear. Like, that would seem like a waste of time. And it is. Um. You know, if there's a reason to study those, great. But, you know, you, you really have to find a way to not just mm. fill the empty spaces That's in your good. life with the internet. Um, you know, we can immediately travel. We, we can't teleport to New York yeah. Square or to, to Times Square. But we can basically, with our minds, take our consciousness and put it somewhere yeah. else immediately. Um <laughs> So, so really being conscious of when am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I think is the, the way that I create boundaries. Mm. Um, you know, I've been trying to be intentional about, you know, five, six, seven o'clock. Um, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be present with yeah. my family. I'm going to go do something with them. Um, yeah. I do this for work, you know, so from eight or nine o'clock to five, six o'clock in the evening, I am on the internet. Um, 
but having those intentional cutoffs and, and always having a purpose right. instead of just dwelling there, I think is, is number one. Yes. Like ethic That's so that. helpful. And, and I had that visual pop into my mind when you were talking about just like consuming information, like reading all the billboards. I had this like little picture come in my mind of like buying every newspaper there was on the block and just reading like a random page all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like how crazy making that would be, like yeah. just random information. Um, so I think it's so helpful to have a purpose. Yep. If if there was one universal general purpose that all of us should have when using the internet, what would you what would you define that purpose as? Edifying, building, building people, people up. up. I love that. True, building people up. That that is the number one reason uh, to to go on the internet because the internet is a place where a lot of people are. It's also the place where a lot of people find some of the most negative experiences you know it is a place mm-hmm. where they can truly become depressed um become angry and it's so easy to do that because you are detached it's like you're able to send a message without people truly mm-hmm. looking you in mm-hmm. the eye when you say it you know you can you can so easily just throw an opinion out there that's going to yeah. affect everybody that reads it um and and really our purpose is to, I mean, here's, here's how I approach it. I, I look at Jesus' life, look at how he interacted with people. And then when I'm about to write something or when I'm about to respond to somebody or I'm about to post something, I think, mm-hmm. is that the way that I'm doing it? You know, what's, what's the correlation here between how Jesus acted and interacted and, and yeah. what I'm doing? You know, and I think that's true of all interaction. I just think that people are much more likely to ignore the care for other people when they feel detached, when there's not a consequence that seems to affect them, like right there. They don't watch somebody's face face, like sink Um, when you say something cutting on accident. You know, they just throw the statement out there and maybe they have, maybe they're just removed from how that that message will be received by the person on the other end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it doesn't have to be hostile. I think there are a lot of mistakes that people make on the internet in just pushing mm-hmm. things that people aren't interested in. Um, you know, there's a lot of chain <laughs> messages, a lot of like, just, there's a lot of bluff, um, like tabloid information like conspiracy theories, all kinds of things. And just like if I knew that my friend didn't like reading a certain type of book, I'm not going to every time I see them hand them this book (laughs) that I really like that they don't. Yeah. No, (laughs) I'm I'm not going to do that. And yet this is what we do with messaging systems. This is what we do with uh, comments. You know, that we, we have this way of ignoring the individual on the other side of the screen and just making the internet, um, you know, yeah. revolve around like a us. loudspeaker. You're just like a megaphone, like yelling things at people all the time. <laughs> and it would be so weird to yeah. see somebody do that in real life, you know, and in physical life. It's, I meet so many people who post the most racist, angry, stuff online and then when you talk to them they're they're not angry like they're 
seem like reasonable people, but for some reason, the internet has become their dumping grounds for opinions that you didn't even know they had. Yeah, because there's no consequences, like you said. Yeah. Well, immediate. So would you say then, from if I'm listening to you well, that the number one tips that you'd have Mm -hmm. for a person that may be just starting to use social media or wanting to set some rules for themselves on the internet, would it be that they need to have a purpose and that part of that purpose should be building people up? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the internet can be a great place to learn. You just have to be careful of like, like what you're learning and how, um, you know, I don't, I don't walk into a bookstore and just pick up a book blindly mm-hmm. and read it as fact, right? Like I could pick up a science fiction book and I mm. know that this is fiction, mm. but we need that same kind of discernment on what the categories of information are, what people's opinions are just kind of like something that they're, are they venting? Are they sharing something that they've studied? Like, there's mm. a lot of discernment that we have to go through. Um, if we do discern well, uh, this is a place yeah. that can connect us like nothing else. You know, I, I have no other method for right. connecting with a community in Kenya. I have no other method for talking with people uh, trying to start a church plant yeah. in Japan or even Utah. Um, there, there is something powerful about if you can discern that information, if you can use the internet well, about the access that this gives us and and the kind of just global uh, bringing together of people, if used well. But but you have to do it intentionally and you have to really constantly be analyzing like, what am I doing? You know, and and is it providing this result that I want or Is this concerning? Yeah, and being honest with yourself on how you're using it is very, very important. It's like a first step. You got to really critically assess yourself. How am I using this? Why am I using this in this way? For sure. Awesome. Well, I think we have so much to chew on, man. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, I think I'm going to be approaching my use of media, social media, and the internet much more purposefully because of this conversation. So I just want to thank you, Caleb, for joining uh, us on this episode and sharing your, uh, your story and your, your expertise. Yeah. I know this is going to bless uh, a lot of people. So thanks for joining, Caleb. God, we thank you for the journey that you've taken Caleb on. Uh, thank you for the wisdom he's offered us. We thank you for leading and guiding our lives and giving us the access to communicate and to learn um, even from afar. And so we pray, God, that you teach us to utilize these skills and gifts uh, and mechanisms to the best uh, possible ability. And we thank you for um, giving us love to share on the internet. So we pray we do that well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus came into the world announcing that the kingdom of God had arrived in him. Culture wants to have the kingdom without the king, but Jesus is as relevant today 
as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Thank you for listening as we wrestle with how to live as disciples of Jesus in our modern culture and to share our relevant faith. God bless.